Understanding my own aces helped me understand my gifts, growth, and God. And I like to tell people that I went down this rabbit hole when I got smacked in the face with reality. I was going along doing business as usual, not being present, making pretty decent money, thinking that all these books and all this education that I've garnered would get me what I wanted in life. I thought I just needed to work harder, read more books, keep trying to climb up the ladder, date here and there. My focus was distorted. And when I learned about ACEs, this rabbit hole revealed to me that the number 20 had some significance to it. Hear me out. When the CDC and Kaiser Permanente started collecting data after an aha moment from something unrelated, the CDC and Kaiser Permanente were collecting data on this thing called the Adverse Childhood Experience Study. And 1997 was a key date, a key year, when they were collecting that data. I was 20 years old when the CDC collected the data for the Adverse Childhood Experience Study using the 17,000 people out in California. One of the things that this study then revealed to me is that my dysfunctional childhood could reduce my lifespan by 20 years if I didn't do something about it. I was 22 years old by the time I had gotten pregnant with my first and only child. It would be 20 years later that I learned about the Adverse Childhood Experience Study in the year 2020. My daughter was 20 years old when I learned about the ACE study. To me, that sounds like a missed opportunity. All the books that I've read and none of them led me to the Adverse Childhood Experience Study, even when I was given access to 300, 800 kids at a time as a middle school principal. None of those books, and I spent plenty, tens of thousands, I'm sure, on self-help books, professional development books, leadership books, selling books, all of those books that I've read and none of them told me, go back to your childhood. Maybe I was picking the wrong books. But the truth is, I could not be present and really internalize all of what those books were trying to tell me, including the Bible, because I didn't understand how my body worked, because I didn't listen to my body. I didn't know how to listen to my body. I didn't even know how to listen to the subtle signs of the people around me that I needed to work on my emotions. I needed to work on how I treated myself because it looked really, really good on the outside. 
but not one book could get me to understanding what I understand now. Our experiences in our childhood have the ability to influence how we treat ourselves and others. And I was really, really mean to myself. Three degrees in, still mean to myself. Making the most money that I could ever imagine as a school principal and later on as a director of a few different few different institutions. And I was still mean to myself. So the number 20 had some significance during my rabbit hole study. And now I understood why my daughter tried to take her life on two different occasions. Even though all of her basic needs, quote unquote, that I understood would be, were being met. So I built Aces Matter to be what I needed during that 20 years of information segregation. The information was found out. It was put on the shelves. And a few people got in their communities and they started talking about it. And it's got a few mentions on a couple of websites where we pay taxes to keep those organizations going. So we take the information from this well-studied research and we use lived experience survivors like myself to turn the science into compelling, entertaining, honest conversations about the causes and consequences of childhood adversities and what we should be doing about it. So the formula is not just information. The formula is putting information in such a way that attracts connection. Attracting the connection leads to relationships and strong, healthy relationships lead to transformation. That is what we mean in ACEs Matter when we say nurture the neurons and you strengthen the roots. So I'm motivated to wake up and do this every single day, not paying myself for the last two years, pouring all of my time and the little money that I had into a nonprofit because I felt like at minimum I could check my ego, get out there, tell my story, let people know where I fell short and then tell people what I learned about that helped me get to where I am now today, confident than I've ever been in my life in front of you telling you this story. My aces said I couldn't. My resilience says I can. Thank you. It's 2022, according to the calendar that we use, and there are two things that I want to celebrate with the world today and whoever listens to this. 2022, 
I celebrate 2022. I celebrate you because Aces Matter will reach its second birthday this year. Just two years ago, I woke up in the middle of the night and the word was put upon me that aces matter. Right in the midst of Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, Blue Lives Matter, George Floyd, and the officer that took his life. Those two gentlemen had aces and the world was divided. The world was in conflict with each other. And the word was put upon me in the middle of the night, in the month of May of 2020, to form a nonprofit and to call it Aces Matter. 2022 is also super important to me because this year, my daughter, my only child, will turn 22 years old. I now have two things that really matter to me that are the reason why I get to stand in front of you in 2022 to share with you the formula for addressing adverse childhood experiences. I'm going to share a brief story and I want you to notice the pattern of twos and how the number 20 kept revealing itself as I went down this unknown rabbit hole of trying to figure out how did things get this way? I'm going to tell this story backwards and I'm going to go back to 2020. Everybody remembers and will always remember what the year of 2020 did for us. So 2020 was the year that I was allowed to really dive deep into the adverse childhood experience study and here's the reason why I was allowed to dive deep into it because I also lost my job at the top of 2020 losing my job at the top of 2020 at the top of the coronavirus pandemic forced me to sit down and really study how in the world did things get this way 2020 led me to Aces Matter. 2020 taught me about patience. In 2020, my daughter reached the age of 20. And I celebrate my daughter multiple times because She unsuccessfully tried to commit suicide, guess what, two times while she was a teenager. Those unsuccessful suicide attempts gives me reason to celebrate my daughter every year. This just happens to be the same year she celebrates her 20th birthday, her sibling aces matter is born i'm gonna go all the way back 20 more years in 2000 when i said that she was born she was born into this world in 2000 
Guess what else happened in 2000? In 2000, I got pregnant. I was 22 years old when I got pregnant. 1997, the CDC study was concluded. So over three, four, five years in the mid-90s, they're studying adverse childhood experiences and following these people in California, 17,000 plus people, middle-class people in California because of an aha moment that a doctor who was studying obesity ran across when he found out while trying to help women lose weight that many of them were obese because they had been sexually abused in childhood. That led them to the Adverse Childhood Experience Study. 1997, I was 20 years old. And for those of y'all that have stayed with me and done the math, then that tells you I was born in 1977. So from 1977 to 1997, that is another 20-year time span. Let's turn the corner. Because I see this as a missed opportunity. If I went all through my childhood and my mom never heard about adverse childhood experiences because it didn't have the fancy name. But even when the fancy name came around, as I was leaving home and going off to college and getting pregnant, I still never heard about it. And it would take another 20 years and a child that is full grown before her mom even learned about the adverse childhood experience study that could have changed the way I parented. I was reading millions and millions of words over the course of those years in the form of self-help books, buying several, several, several here and there, but none of them led me to questioning my childhood. So I stand here before you today doing this work because there is an internal conflict still brewing all these years later that still tries to tell me that my aces say that I can't. But because I've gone down this rabbit hole of the light, my resilience says I can. We are designing a different way for people to understand all of these years and years and articles and journals and videos and podcasts of studies about this, these things called ACEs. And we're going to put this information into the hands of people who know how to tell other people about it. Why did I need to wait all these years to find out something that was so simple That could have changed if I just knew my body and knew that my body was still keeping up with the dysfunction, abuse, and neglect in my childhood, even though I was long gone from it. Thank you. The design of the Reacher Academy is structured in a way where 
reachers who are also known as lived experience survivors, entrepreneurs, micro-influencers, aspiring influencers. Maybe they're full-time employees with somebody. Maybe they're just a community member. But the idea is to take a living, breathing human being who has lived experiences and bring them to an understanding of the Adverse Childhood Experience Study. We bring them to that understanding so that they then can take that information back and share it in the context of the work that they're already doing and better. So the way the academy is designed is designed to give information that leads to connection with others who may also be living with childhood adversities. Those connections, I imagine, will drive transformative relationships. So the information leads to connection and the connection will lead to transformation. The information that we share is good for anybody that has to be in the presence of adults who once had childhood adversities. This information is meant for anybody who's in the presence of human beings. As you can see, our target population is pretty big, but we're gonna start with just the people who are willing to listen to us when we say that people who heal from their childhoods overall do better mentally, physically, and financially. Let's just start there. Seems like a pretty, 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 pretty good bargain to listen to what we have to say if we're promising those three things. Thank you. Reachers sell one of the most abundant resources on this earth. There is an unlimited supply of this resource and reachers sell it. You'll never guess what it is. I won't make you wait. But you'll never believe when I tell you that reachers sell words. W-O-R-D-S, words. Yep, I said it right here out loud. They sell words. They put a lot of them together in different packages, depending on how many words somebody needs. And we bundle them and we call them stories. We sell people stories in the form of words that help them heal from their childhood. We sell words. Testing, testing, one, two, three, four, five, six. This is, I'm walking around the kitchen and I'm just practicing for my TED talk. Yes, I said, I'm practicing for my TED talk. So I felt like if I was going to practice, why am I going to do this exclusive content right here? Because I want to know at what age did you learn about the adverse childhood experience study. 
the ACEs study? At what age did you learn? To put it a different way, I only want to know at what age did somebody first tell you about it? Like the very first interaction you have with the adverse childhood experience study. And I'm not saying like when you decided to go down the rabbit hole and show up here to listen to this today. I'm talking about the first time you were exposed to it in whatever setting, right? Because I want to know. I, I really am interested in knowing like where were you when you took the test? You know, I want to know that. I want to know that. Where were you when you took the test? The first thing I'm going to share is that I was 42 years old when I took the test. I'm 44 years old the day I recorded this message. I remember exactly what I was doing before I took the test. I remember what I did when I took the test. And I remember what I did after I took the test. And I want to share that with you so you'll understand why starting the conversation is important. The first thing I want to share with you is that when I learned about the Adverse Childhood Experience study, it was through the test that I happened to be at a copy machine making copies for presentation and ran across that particular survey. Laying by the copy machine. Curious, I picked it up. And I realized that it was going to be a talking point in a conference that I would be attending. So curious as I was, I leaned over on the workstation and I started, proceeded to answer the questions. Grabbed a pencil that was laying around, and as the copy machine was doing its thing, I decided to take this quiz. Pretty simple. Ten questions. Answer them. Yep. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm, well, if I understand what emotional neglect means, then probably, yeah. Okay. Emotional abuse. Oh, definitely. Ooh, I was tall, ball-headed a lot in my life. Ooh. Ooh, God. Um, it's a story that's really distinct in my life, a couple of them. One, in fifth grade, I was called Gypsy Gary Baldy because I was really bald-headed and I got picked on a lot for it. Because you just got teased. Kids are mean and they just tease. Kids learn to be mean and they just tease. And, and I remember the dude who did it. I remember how it made me feel. I was crushed because there was nothing I could do about being black and bald-headed. Another experience that I remember, and these, these happen often, like when I tell you these were repetitive, so for something to qualify as an adverse childhood experience, an ACE, like they talk about it's extreme and usually repetitive, right? Not all the time repetitive, but this particular emotional abuse was repetitive in my life. I'm going to share this. Being dark, bald-headed, and ugly to everybody you meet is a horrible feeling. I don't know how you see me today, but I'm gonna tell you that being ugly, dark, and bald-headed was really difficult as a child because I couldn't get away from the criticism. 
So all of this I share with you is coming up as I answer the questions to this test. I'm only on the emotional abuse question and all of these thoughts just surfaced. These memories, they just surfaced right there to the top. Growing up and being considered an ugly child, being told by one of the adults in the family that you should bleach this child's skin, she is too black, hurt really, really bad. Because I couldn't help that my skin was as darker, as dark as it was, and that my cousins were lighter skin. We st- I stood out in my family not necessarily because of who my mom made it with in comparison to my, my aunts and my cousins, but because my mom was the third of six children. My mom was the third of six children. And she came out looking extremely different in terms of her skin color and the texture of her hair in comparison to her five siblings. My grandmother married an extremely handsome fella who happened to be biracial. My, my papa was half white and half black. Very, very good looking. Shamar Moore good looking, right? So, because this is not a secret in our family, it's been like a running inside joke that my grandmother had a boo thing on the side while she was married and she slipped up and got pregnant with my mom. And that's how my mom came out looking different and having different texture hair than her sisters. That's one theory. Obviously we know DNA has its way, but that's a theory, right? That's, that's a rumor that, you know, it's an elephant in the room conversation that nobody really talks about. So I share that to say is because then my mom growing up as a child got teased about her hair and her skin color. And my mom remembers being the ugly duckling in the group and how her own family, including her mom, just made her feel so little and so ugly and so unwanted because of her hair and her skin color. Her mom said some really horrible, ugly things to her, according to my mom. Basically, what I'm trying to say in a faster way is that emotional abuse was, what's the word I'm looking for? Emotional abuse ran in the family. (laughs) That's what I was trying to say. Emotional abuse ran in the family. So my mom went through the emotional abuse part, right? And people picking fun at both of us and any child for that matter because they can't control how they look, it does something to the inside of the body and the brain, right? And so those things get stored. And my girlfriend, Shamara, tells me that if we write down our 10 to 12 most vivid memories, it tells a story about our purpose. I can't take credit for that. My girl Shamara gave me that because of something she went through with her own aces. And she shares freely that everything is connected to our childhood. So. That happens to be some of my most vivid memories of how it made me feel when I got picked on for something that was not in my control. 
I was a little black girl who wanted to grow up and look like Barbie. So when I was made to feel unloved or unwanted by my own family members and even kids at school, which I knew, I think now it was just jokey joke, but on the inside, I saw myself in the mirror in comparison to the people in my family that did not have trouble with their hair or did not have trouble with being dark like myself. And there were some, but still it was like, I'm a girl and it's pretty obvious. And so emotional abuse programmed in my brain in the form of I'm not loved. So as I, as I answer the rest of these questions, I'm going down emotional abuse, yes. Physical abuse, yes, we got our butts beat. Like, they loved us too, right? But that was just their form of like correcting us. So it was something in my family named the cowboy belt and you didn't want the cowboy belt pulled out because the cowboy belt is this big, huge leather belt that belonged to my grandma and grandpa. And it would be the one that was summoned whenever it was time to lay some whoop ass down, right? So it was that, plus it was belts, of course, and uh, switches, shoes, whatever they could find. So my story is not much different than a lot of other people's stories that's, that's going to listen to this. Some people may be shocked and other people be like, oh yeah, we had it even worse, right? So the spectrum is wide. So yes, physical abuse occurred. Emotional neglect, yeah, definitely emotional neglect and emotional abuse usually go hand in hand because according to Gabor Mati, hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, is that children have to, it's, it's not just the abuse or the trauma necessarily, it's having to sit alone with it, right? He talked about having to sit alone with it. Children have to sit alone with their emotions because there's no mentally healthy adult to help them navigate them, right? Kids have emotions too. Adults, y'all think if we messed up, imagine what it's like to be a kid who's looking up to us to figure out how to deal with feelings. All kinds of feelings. So, emotional abuse. And I originally, when I took the, the test, I only gave myself a nine because the question that was on the version of the survey that I had asked about sexual abuse. And I circled no because nobody penetrated. So my misunderstanding of that question in sexual abuse probably led to a lot of my risky behaviors in the 20s, just like the adverse childhood experience said I would do. Before, it, it don't even know me, and it basically wrote out how I was going to behave in my 20s, and I did. I am in all of their data points, right? And I'm not ashamed to say it because it makes sense. There was some programming done to the operating system that just didn't vibe with a productive, healthy, functional adulthood life. So I'm doing the test, and I'm giving myself a nine because nobody penetrated. But as I got to learn more and more about the test, I'm like, I was 12. He was like 19 or 20. And he tried to force himself on me just because he didn't succeed didn't mean that that night, as it was happening, I froze and couldn't sleep. 
That's what happened on the inside of my body. But I didn't count that originally because he didn't penetrate. Wow, talk about misunderstanding. And then guess what? According to how the situation went down, I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. Nobody heard me when I spoke up about what happened. I don't know if that happens to you or somebody you know, but I know I'm not alone. And the second time I was in the wrong place at the wrong time was with a man who was twice my age. I was 16. He was in his 30s. Ew. And he tried to take it. But boy, were my ancestors with me that night. Boy, I fought him. I fought him like it wasn't no yesterday. And y'all want to know the distinct memory that I have from that situation, not just his face or his smell. The distinct memory I have is his words when he finally gave up trying to take it as I was 16 years old. Maybe I was 15. Actually, I was 15. Ha ha. I was even younger because by the time I was 16, I had a boyfriend. Um, I'm 15 in the bed with a grown man in his 30s. That happened in real life. But anyhow, I said I remember his words, and his words, his words were that little bit strong. When his partner came out the room to ask him if he got him some. My oldest cousin was in the room that neighbored the one that I had just slept in So I didn't count that sexual abuse because he penetrated. So long and short, my updated ACE score is a 10 out of 10. And if we add the community environments ACEs, we just just gonna keep going up from there, okay? But I tell you that to say, I discovered that I was a 10. And the very next thing that I did was I picked up the phone and I called my best friend, my cousin, the person who was the same age as me, grew up in the same house as me, and knew pretty much everything about me. Because if there's anybody in my family that would know about this, it might be her. And if she don't know about it, she's going to understand it when I tell her what I just discovered. At the time, I didn't know what all of that meant because the very first time I took the quiz, it might have been some data points about uh, childhood adversities and how they affect students' learning. I hadn't even got to the part where it talks about the health and the behaviors and all that other kind of stuff. So she's the first person I called. And guess what? She said, oh yeah, I've heard about that too. says we had a school training last year on it and I remember taking mine and she discloses what her score was not surprising right so I share that to say is that ACEs are generational they can be prevented and if we get people having this conversation 
pieces. We know if everybody starts sharing like what they did next, we know that we can set up the structures so that the people can then do something with it sooner than later. Because I didn't do nothing with it for another six, seven months, right? It just came back to me because of what was going on with George Floyd and, and uh, the police officer at that time. That's how the pain actually like, came around, but get your ace for We sell words, but more particularly, we sell our words to people who want to heal from their childhood adversities. And those words that we sell are packaged into a four-step formula. It's the 4A formula. The words that we sell are designed to build connection, social capital, if you will. Social capital is the end goal. That is what we are seeking, social capital, by the social capital queen herself, Chantel Akar. She knows about social capital. So the end goal, once you leave the message, is to get to the social capital. So with Aces Matter, it goes... Four A's. The information we give is designed to bring people to awareness. The awareness that they come to is designed to bring them to acceptance. Once they've reached the acceptance stage, they're going to be able to take action on what they've learned about And the action that they take will then lead them to assembly. And if you have a picture in your head of what an assembly looks like, that is the social capital. Other people supporting other people who are trying to heal from their childhoods. That's the social capital we are creating. Sharing our formula with others who are willing to listen along the way. And reachers start the conversation. And our goal is to find out how far will the conversation travel if we just start it. So we can't just drop an immediate metric and say this many people are going to learn about it. We can. We can actually set the bar pretty low and see where we go. But what we're really interested in knowing is how far will the conversation travel? Because if we can get them all the way to the assembly stage, that is when they form social capital so that they can now form those connections that they never received in their younger years. So information might get people to thinking but connection gives people a reason to live and that's what the formula does it gives people a reason to live that's the short of it so in layman terms we sell words we sell words to people who want to heal And we do them in beautifully packaged ways. 
And we support people until they are capable of supporting somebody else. We remove the barriers and we use other people who care about the cause to help us get it done. Even if one person shows up to the conversation, that's better than none. We just start there. Back in session. Oh, Which way am I going? Right. Okay, welcome back, class. When we left, we were discussing how the formula could save humanity. And these beautiful Nubian queens, can I say Nubian? Mm-hmm. These beautiful Nubian queens feel as if they have the formula to, to, to help humanity with all of humanity's issues. So we're going to hear from these ladies. And these ladies are going to convince us that the formula is a money-back guarantee to kill all of adverse childhood experiences and getting the world to a place where everybody wants to be. So we're going to start by answering these three questions. If somebody was to pay to come to the formula, they are paying to not only see Miss Cindy Stanford, they're paying to see Miss Chantel and almost and also Miss Shaquille Roberts. And this course is rather pricey because people feel like it's a money back guarantee if you follow the formula. So some people may say that it's pricey. Some people may say it was worth it. All that we want you to know is that when you leave this place, you're gonna leave this place with the ability to do a lot of things. So the questions that we asked the ladies before the break. always doing so we know your session was worth it if you gave them something that allows them to be so what did you give them that's going to allow them to be with that stuff that they gonna do that validates the stuff they just said about the formula take your time ladies whoever wants to speak first formula is life changing. I want them to leave and say I can better understand my needs and expressing them by acknowledging my adverse childhood experiences. The map gives me the way and the maintenance preserves me. I really um, am transformed. My life is transformed uh, with the formula. I think, checking in from Aces Matter here, I think, to add to what Ms. Roberts said, that in addition to what people said, uh, her experience, people are going to leave 
this workshop, the very first one, and they're going to say, wow, so I ain't really crazy. Man, this was a relief to know that all these voices in my head are because of what got programmed into me in childhood. And so it didn't start with me. And if I follow this map, I can reprogram the voices that have tried to shut me down for so many years. And it, t- it means that I can reprogram repro- the voices in all eight realms of my life. What? Y'all lying. And so people are going to leave like wondering, like, is this possible? But when they see how potent the map is after the message and useful, they're going to be like, okay, y'all, come on. Because y'all know I've been living like this and this almost feels too good to be true. And then we're going to slap them in the face like the Will Smith slap with the maintenance plan. And so then they're going to leave there saying, wow, I'm able to talk to people about my aces and not feel ashamed of them. That's what I'm going to say. I'm able to do that. I'm able to have that conversation and not be tied to the outcome. And I'm also able to be myself. People are going to see me as myself with like no mask on. So that's how I feel. That's what. And so here she go. Here she come, y'all. All right. And so. Hold on, y'all. We trying to find directions. Wait. Where were we? Where were we at a church? Or where were we? No, we right at the light. Make a right. You make a right. Oh, we got. Is that it in the corner right there? Right. Make a left. No. When you turn right, make a left. Make a left after the right. So you heard from Shaquille Roberts. You heard from Cindy Stanton with this formula exactly as I am. And after course one, this is what we think people don't leave with, according to Chantelle Carr. So after course one, you are going to leave with the knowledge, wisdom, and the tools of how to organize your physical space. The second course will teach you how to organize your mind. The third course will teach you how to organize your time. Once you get all of these pieces in order, we're going to then teach you how to connect with bridging social capital in the eight different realms in order to bridge the gap from where you are to where you want to go. What you will be able to do after a session is to come up with an assessment plan in order to activate your amazing right. And then connect it to the accountability partners, the social capital in the eight different rooms. You will then be able to be calm even in chaos because you know that you have a plan of action. Oh. You know that you have accountability partners. Mm-hmm. You know that you can affirm. And then you know that you know how to maintain what it is that you're yeah. going through. So once you've gotten the message of why you have been going through what you've been going through and now you want to make a change, you're going to actively disrupt your old patterns and change the game with inviting the formula to come in and speak to your people. Yeah. And y'all, we ain't make this up. So just in case, you know, y'all didn't really hear what we said out loud, it is a money back guarantee, right? If you follow this script, stick to the script, like they used to tell Donald Trump, you stick to the script, 
you stick to the script and this works for you. And here's how we know, because on the day we recorded this video, it was April the 22nd of 2022. And one of the things our girl, me and the girls do is that whenever we meet, we always look to see, is there a scripture associated with the day that we met? And sure enough, on April 22nd of 2022, we Google 422 scripture. And the very first scripture that comes up on Google is Ephesians 422. And it says, according to the New International Version, that you were taught with regard to your former of life to put off your old self, which is being, being, you hear the key word being, corrupted by its deceitful desires. So for us, that means something may have been taught to you that is stuck in your body in the turn in, in the form of unhealed emotions that might be influencing your triggers, that might be even making you question what you're hearing from us right now. But at the end of the day, this formula is a money back guarantee. When you get the message that it didn't start with you and the map on how to get out of that old you and then the maintenance of how to maintain the new you, you're going to be writing a positive review. Guaranteed. Our pleasure. Testing, testing, one, two, three. Are we recording? It is a pre-shower thought and I am putting this out here in the universe because I thought it was too good to not share. So for all of us that admit that we have thoughts that are in our clearly head because there's nowhere else for thoughts to be, that we are sometimes not sure if we should put out there to the universe, this is one of those. So before I get in the shower and as I finish my night, I want to say that first impressions are called first impressions for a reason. Now I'm going to ask the universe to re-deliver this same message to me that it revealed, which was first impressions are called first impressions for a reason. And here's why I say that. Without looking for specific research to support what I'm about to say I'm gonna go out on the limb and say that the first high h-i-g-h that we get from an experience will never be replicated ever 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 so whether it's the first time you smoke crack which I have never done right I meditate for the people that have fallen victim to that manufactured substance. But I was told by a very successful drug dealer that the reason why people get addicted to crack is because that very first hit of crack does something to you that makes you wanna go back and find it again. Like hide and seek, right? Like hide and seek is such a fun game because you never know where to look. But when you find it, you feel special. Because it was almost like you read people's mind, right? Not to get off topic, but the argument I wanna make without research is that that first high 
can never be replicated. That first high that you get from the guy that you think or the girl that you think is going to be the love of your life and you kiss them. And immediately, even if it's the first date, second, third, or tenth, the very first time you kiss them, there's this connection. And it's like an exchange of energy, right? And it's that initial high that makes you feel like this is the person. Let me give you another example. The very first time you put your mouth and your taste buds on that sweet thing, whatever that sweet thing is, if your taste buds we're feeling that sweet thing, you will never be able to replace it, right? Not that not that particular moment. It cannot be replaced. It can be added on to, right? Like it can be a reminder of, remember when you taste me for the first time, baby? Ice cream or whatever it was, right? Depending on what it was. Oysters, if that's your thing, right? Um, goat cheese, if that's your thing. Whatever it is, right? Your mouth... In your, what they, the scientists would call neurons, got a brand new experience that, wow, I got to put that somewhere. So if the situation was you like your, 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 your taste bud, like that experience or that, that sensation that you got from hugging your mate really liked that experience, right? It's naturally going to be drawn to want it again. That is how addiction works. My whole point. First impressions are called first impressions for a reason. First impressions cannot be replicated. So to break any habit that we no longer need in the season of our life, to break any habit, whether it's relationship, whether it's food, whether it's drugs, whether it's entertainment, whether it's financial, whatever that addiction is, we first have to come to acceptance that that high that initial high that I'm seeking is no longer accessible. My mind is playing tricks on me. My mind is having me chase that first interaction as if it was a lottery ticket, a slot machine, an underdog win the Super Bowl bet. My brain is playing tricks on me because my brain wants that first impression back so bad that it's going to keep coming back to this toxic relationship just because of that first experience with this toxic person, male or female, that made me feel good that one time that I had never felt before. My body wants that again. And it thinks that if I keep trying 
relaxing my boundaries, I will get that experience to begin. So that is what we've trained our body to want. I want that experience again. That felt so safe when he told me he didn't care about my past. I felt so safe when I told him what I used to do for a living. Or I felt so safe when I told her I was molested as a child. Think about a man having to give somebody that. So first impressions are there for a reason because they're there to connect your neurons, right? They're they're there to make new connections. And once the brain makes a new connection that replaces the last connection that made them feel unsafe, they our brain immediately attaches on to that last safety moment. In that last safety moment, even if it turns out not to be good for us, our brain wants to stay there and our body wants to stay there and make it make sense to us. That's how addiction starts. So the whole point of this message is to say that first impressions cannot be replicated. And some of us are naturally drawn to things that we think are good for these seasons in our lives, but we ignore all of the signs that say this is just like the last time that you relaxed your boundaries. I'm out.